If you have your Bibles with you, would you open them, please, to the New Testament book of Hebrews? You'll find the book of Hebrews right near the back of your Bible. If you go to the back and turn left, you'll find it about a few pages in. Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to read from. Just a few short words, beginning at verse 24. I'm going to preach on a New Year's Day subject. For the last number of years in my own ministry, personally in a different church, I have preached on the subject of prayer every New Year's week for the last 13 or 14 years. And this week I'm going to preach on something quite different, and that is Lord's Day worship. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day, capital D, as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. I've asked one of our elders if he would uh, please ask the Lord's blessing as we come to it tonight and for my help. Lord, I just want to thank you for uh, this past year that we've had. I want to praise you for how you've used our church all the way through the year, how we seem to turn the corner, how Bethlehem Walk went so well. And as we look to this new year, Lord, I just want to once again thank you for bringing Pastor Barry to us this last year. Thank you for the care and the compassion and the uh, leadership that he's showing both to the staff and to our church body. And Lord, as he opens his word, opens your word tonight, Lord, I pray Lord, that you'll speak to them, that you will use him and that your Holy Spirit will inspire us, Lord, to do great things this year in service to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you. I am not a natural lover of church. I hope you're not either. I've gone through seasons of my life where I've hated it. In fact, I still go through weeks sometimes like that. The frustration, discouragement, anger about it. There are times in my life where I thought I was done with it. And the Lord met me and said, If my people are too broken for you to serve, what must you think of my service of them? The very mention of the word Lord's Day would bring back a lot of different kinds of memories in your own experiences. I wonder if, if when I mention the, the word Lord's Day, what comes to your mind? My dad was a farmer, and one of the things that comes to my mind is not a wheel in his yard would turn on the Lord's Day. I didn't understand it personally, but that's the way it was. It got through to me that it had something of tremendous value. He had thousands of acres of grain to bring in every year. It didn't matter if the forecast was for snow on Monday. He would leave it all out there in order to be 
with God's people on the Lord's Day. It made an impression on me. And sometimes I feel that as a parent, I haven't taken the time to explain the simplest of things. And so I'll need your patience tonight as I, as I, uh, as I use our entire evening of preaching tonight to explain something that is so terribly simple. And yet, sometimes I feel we leave the simplest things unexplained and we just assume that everybody understands why we do what we do. And so as we begin this new year, as I say, I I ask for your patience and indulgence as I speak on this subject of Lord's Day worship. In the text that I've read, there is a need identified There is a practical necessity spoken of, and there is a truth claim proclaimed. The need is to be stirred up. That is the need that is identified in the text that I read. You may have found, as I have found, that my default is comfort, and that I have a regular need of being stirred up. The practical necessity in the text is to meet together. To meet together. Isolation is the enemy of godliness. I've come to understand that in my own life. I've heard and in fact I've used the arguments of I don't have to go to church. I'm free. I can worship wherever I want. I have found that kind of freedom, though, to actually be more of a form of bondage. And I find true liberty, true freedom, is to be able to worship with God's people. Today is the Lord's Day. If you lived in North Nigeria, if you lived in Egypt, and you worship with God's people, you would have risked your life to do so. It is a practical necessity. Yes, you could worship at home. I could also eat alone at home and still claim to be a part of my family. (laughs) But it wouldn't be very wise. The third thing is the truth claim. The truth claim is this, is that the, the day, capital D, is approaching. And the need that I mentioned to be stirred up, the necessity that I mentioned to gather together, only makes sense in the light of the truth claim that Jesus is coming. That the day of the Lord is closer this week than it was last week. Put all of those things together, the need to be stirred up, the necessity of gathering together, and the truth claim that Jesus is coming again, put all those things together, and you have Lord's Day worship. The word Lord's Day is something that is only used once in all of the Bible. It is from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 10. And the Apostle John, when he wrote that, says it was on the island of Patmos, your brother in the suffering and perseverance of our Lord, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. 
The Apostle John is probably the last living apostle, a very old man. It's the end of the apostolic age. And to me, that, that tells me that by, by that time in the church, that people knew what he was talking about and that people came to understand the first day of the week as the Lord's Day. Let me explain it. By Lord's Day, I simply mean a day in the week on which Jesus proved himself Lord. We honor the Lord on a day that he proved himself to be Lord. I hope that makes sense to you. I hope that doesn't sound legalistic to you. I hope that doesn't sound like a restrictive prohibition to you. It's a subject upon which there's been far too much vinegar and not enough honey. Mary Magdalene, John chapter 20, verse 1. Early in the morning, rises and goes to the tomb. She found the stone is rolled away and the Lord is gone. First day of the week. And John goes on to finish that, that gospel explaining how the Lord would meet with them regularly. One week later. I'll often use the phrase, have a good Lord's Day on the first day of the week. And sometimes I get funny looks. Have a good Lord's Day. I, I find it odd to say Sunday night because we're at the end of the day, so I'm not quite sure what to say. I hope you've had a good Lord's Day. I'm not trying to sound pious when I say that. I'm not trying to speak Christianese. What I am doing when I say, how are you today, or have a good Lord's Day, is expressing a very deep personal conviction that none of this makes any sense if Jesus were not Lord and coming again. It is the Lord's Day. But if He is Lord, and He is coming again, then gathering and using the Lord's Day to be with God's people is not a legal restriction in my life. It's a gracious opportunity. I love the way that the psalmist describes the place of worship, the temple worship, There were a lot of laws, there were a lot of things that Moses before him said about the place of worship and about the day of worship. And I'm not using the word Sabbath today intentionally. And we could do a whole series on on this subject and go to the fourth commandment and talk about why we worship on the first day of the week and and not the seventh day of the week and all of those things. But, But it's the tone of the psalmist that I appreciate so much. He loved to be in the place of worship. There's no mention of all of the legal requirements. They're there. They were there. Of course they were there. All of the, all of the commands of Moses were there talking about what was to be done at the Lord's house and, and all of the prescriptions that were there in the law. But, but in David, there was simply a desire to be there and was jealous of the sparrows that could live there and rather spend a day there than a thousand in the courts of the wicked. So it's not a day restricted by law. It's a a day that is enhanced for us with grace. Sometimes we're so afraid of legalism or the perception of legalism.
that there's a fear in us of having convictions about the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day isn't about legal rules or requirements. I'm not going to talk about what's appropriate or what isn't appropriate on the Lord's Day. That that's not what it's about. So tonight I simply want to point out that these two things go together. The opportunity to meet together as God's people and the reality that Jesus is coming again. In any given day of the week, I can't see when Jesus is coming. Neither can you. I would love to know him, but it's a good thing that I don't know, I guess. As Jonathan Edwards, I love his resolutions. One of them was to live, I'm paraphrasing, but to live every day as if it were the day of the Lord, of his coming. I can't see that day, but what I can see from every day of the week is a day in which God will gather me along with his people to bring me into his presence and to nourish me and to sustain me. We come to the Lord's table this evening. It's a, it's a wonderful example of what the Lord's Day is all about. Yes, we're looking back. We're looking back on, on what, what Christ has accomplished for us, but we're also looking forward. And I love the verse that I will read when we come to the Lord's table and we're finished at the Lord's table. I'll read it from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's not only about remembering. It says that, that when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Until He comes. The Lord's Day is about looking forward, not just back, but also looking forward to when He comes. So it's not a negative restriction of what I can't do, but a positive freedom of what I can do. I often have people on a Saturday night, I guess maybe it's because I'm a pastor and people know what I do Sunday mornings, but they'll say to me, maybe they say it to you sometimes too, oh, I, Saturday night, boy, I guess you have to go to church tomorrow. As if it was some kind of, of, of great, <laughs> great restriction on my life. Well, I guess, I guess you better go home and go to bed, eh? <laughs> you know what? I don't mind. Because it's not something that I have to do, it's something that I get to do. It's not a self-righteous duty, but it is a godly conviction. So there are three things that I want to quickly, briefly bring forward of how these things go together. Lord's Day worship and looking forward to the return of the Lord and how we are stirred up. They are to be reminded, renewed, and reconciled. The Lord's Day worship is about being reminded When the Lord comes, I will no longer need this. When the day of the Lord arrives, I need to be reminded. But until then, I need it weekly to remember who is on the throne. To remember the attributes of God, all of them, not just my favorite ones.
I love the preaching last week that reminded me from the book of Jude that when Jesus comes that I will be set before God. But that's then. This is now. Right now, I need God set before me. And I need it regularly. I find it very disturbing when I attend services of worship and I, I, I get the sense that What's being presented to me is a man. What's being presented to me is the music. What's being presented to me is the church. But I come to church because I recognize how powerfully God can use a man to set himself before me. And how powerfully God can use music to set himself before me. And how powerfully God can use his people to set himself before me. And I need to pray with God's people as our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father who is in heaven. I love those words. I love that prayer. That's why the Lord said, pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven. For me, this changes everything. It has again and again And again, to be reminded of this simple, simple truth. But it puts all the details of my life into a proper perspective. That God is tabernacling in my life. Like Adam, walking with God, and yet not like Adam, without shame and without fear. To be reminded. Like John on the island of Patmos. On the Lord's day in the spirit. And all of the the book of Revelation. The whole whole content of that vision. I think is just a, a, a picture. Of what the Lord's day is all about. Where in that vision. That John receives in the spirit on the Lord's day. It's a vision of the Lord. And how high and lifted up he is. And all of his magnificent dominion and sovereignty and power and authority. And then, why? So that, that the church could be reminded. He's Lord. That's what it's all about. To be renewed. Again, this is something... That will be... Not will, be, will not be a necessity then when the Lord comes. But now, now it is to be renewed, to be revived, to be awakened, to be regenerated, to be woken up. When we leave here today, we'll go out into a world that has its own spirit. But it's not the Holy Spirit. And I need, I need every service to be a service of revival. I remember as a young pastor seeing pictures, posters, postings that there was going to be a service and that it would be a revival service and that revival was going to come on January 29th. And I was incredulous. I thought, well, first of all, why wait till then? Why now? And why are we having any services without revival? 
Who wants to go to church and not experience revival? And secondly, what are you going to do different then? That we're not doing now. And if there's something we should be doing then, not now, why aren't we doing it now? Not revivalism. You know, you add ISM to anything in you. Corrupt it. Not revivalism, which is the getting up of our religion to God, but the revival, which is the coming down of God to us. See, church is more than about getting information. It's more than about being instructed. It's about also being renewed. The instruction. Reviving us and renewing us. Jesus said, wait. In Acts chapter 1, He said, tarry and wait for the Holy Spirit to fill you. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. Don't claim to do anything in my name until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't leave here in your own strength. Don't leave in your flesh. This is why we worship. It's a place where we wait upon God. Not for anything strange. Not for anything weird. But for what is normal. For those who belong to Christ. It may not be strange. It may not be weird. But it is spectacular. It is supernatural. To have a river of life watering our souls. To have our roots pushed down. I, you'll hear me pray this often when I, when I pray corporately to, to the Lord would, like, it's from, based on Psalm 1 and Jeremiah chapter 17, that the Lord would take, and I just love this image, it would take our roots and push them down through the, 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 the crusty, dry surface of the circumstances of my life and water my soul. Renew me. Awaken me. Bring renewal to my heart. And say with the Apostle Paul, you want to know what a spirit-filled Christian looks like? You want to know what a spirit-filled Christian talks like? It's very understandable, actually. Where the Apostle Paul says, I count all things lost. To gain Christ. That's what it looks like to be renewed. And I, t- I confess there are many times where I have to be brought to that place in my own life again and again and again. And it disturbs me when I see in myself when I can worship and yet retain so much of the Spirit of the world. To be reminded and to be renewed and finally to be reconciled. When the Lord comes, my reconciliation will be consummated. It will be permanent. It will be completed eternally. But right now, I need it regularly. I think that's why David loved the worship at the temple so much. Is because of what went on there. 
And it was all about reconciliation. Not only between man and God, but between fellow worshippers as well. Don't misunderstand me. This, this very book, the book of Hebrews, makes the point that all of that temple worship that David loved so much and talked about so much in the Psalms, all of that offering for sin that went on in that temple is fulfilled in Christ. He died once. I'm not talking about being reconciled to God again and again in a sense of being saved over and over. And there is a kind of religion like that. I don't want anything to do with it. I want to be secure in Christ. I want to know that he died once to secure my reconciliation to him forever. But in my sanctification, I live in a world that not only has its own spirit, I live in a world that also has its own pattern. And the pattern of the world in which I live is not reconciliation. The pattern of the world that I live is one of alienation. Alienation from God, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, at once the people live in the world, alienated and without God in the world. And so there is a constant need in my own life not to be conformed to that pattern of alienation. but to be reconciled to God and others. There's a verse in 2 Peter chapter 1. If you'd like to look at it, it's just a couple pages to the right. I'll read it for you though. 2 Peter chapter 3. This is also a chapter that talks about the day of the Lord and the coming of the Lord. And this is what he says in verse 14, 2 Peter chapter 3. Right after he talks about the coming of the Lord, when there's going to be a new heavens and a new, a new earth and God's going to, God's going to change everything. And this is what Peter says in verse 14 of chapter 3. He says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for this, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. That is reconciliation to God. To let go of all of the things that would alienate us from him. Just to be reconciled to him and be found on his day of coming without spot and without blemish. I'm not saying you wait till the Lord's day to do that, but I'm saying that the Lord's day is a gracious service of God to that end. And then he says this, not only to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace, Peter says, and at peace. When I was a kid, I was told, there's a lot of places that you you don't want to be when the Lord comes. And I thought it a little strange. I still would not use language like that myself. And I didn't understand it. I used to joke about it, actually, and describe certain buildings as having rapture-proof ceilings. You don't want to be there when the Lord comes. I'm not mocking that. There's a lot of godliness there that I missed when I was young. But this is one place 
that I never saw on that list of places you don't want to be when the Lord comes, and that is a church that is not at peace, a divided church. Be at peace. As we come to the Lord's table this evening, on this first Lord's Day of the year, I hope that it is a place where you are reminded He is Lord. I hope it is a place where you are renewed with the Spirit of God. I hope it is a place where you are reconciled in your heart, that it's not a ritual, it's not just a habit or a routine, but you do business with God. and with one another.